Educators want to stay fresh with literacy instruction, but are so busy with students, they don't always have the time. All year long, Choice Literacy publishes and delivers the best K-12 literacy practices so that educators can grow their students as readers and writers with choice in literacy. Welcome to the Big Fresh Choice Literacy Podcast. I'm Ruth Ayers. Hi, friends. It is late September, and we are at the point of the new school year when I remind myself to stop and breathe. There is so much to do, and it often feels impossible. Recently, I spent time in a school where 75% of the staff are new teachers. I was modeling demonstration lessons, conferences, and share sessions for launching reading and writing workshop. One teacher asked, how did you know what to say so that student would write? I paused, taking into account the magnitude of everything we as teachers set in motion at the beginning of the school year, as well as the weight of learning a new job. I considered the simplest response and reminded the teachers that I've conferred with thousands of children. It isn't something I learned overnight, but have honed over time. Still, a practical answer was needed. I always respond in a way that I think will lift their energy. You might not know what to teach next, but you know how to keep readers and writers full of energy. Do that thing, even if it is a simple sentence of encouragement to keep going. The best thing you can do is to help students feel excited about reading and writing. It was this advice that lingered in my mind as I put together this week's Big Fresh issue. There is so much we are putting into motion as the school year begins. It is not a surprise that I believe writing workshop is essential, and this issue offers practical ideas through articles, videos, courses, and downloads to help you build energy for writing. In our free-for-all section, we remind you about joining the Choice Literacy Book Club. Now, this podcast includes our recent discussion of So You Want to Be an Owl by Jane Porter and Maddie Frost. It's a nonfiction picture book, and the discussion gave me energy for teaching writers and using the book with young readers. Dana Murphy shares an article encouraging teachers to do the required writing in a unit themselves. Dana finds completing the assignments herself is well worth her time, and it gives her a treasure trove of notebook entries to use during conferring. In another free article, Melanie Meehan shares how everything from transitions to clutter can provide clues for how to increase student output and enjoyment. This is a great article to help us get writers in motion. We highlight a field experience course about writer's notebooks in this week's theme. Writer's notebooks are such an important tool for writers. And in this field experience, you can see how elementary teachers use notebooks with their students. It's free to members and available to purchase for everyone else. I'm excited about our new content in the Classic Classroom. Tammy Mulligan shares how she helps her students create writing plans. 
you'll see in the article how Tammy is scaffolding her students so that they can become more independent in the work that they're doing as writers. This article also includes a download of a planning template that you can use so your students will create writing plans too. The new video this week is of one of Tammy's students, Austin, sharing his writing and his writing plan in a self-recorded video that he uploaded to their learning management system. It's a great companion to Tammy's article. A new contributor, instructional coach Jen Court, shares an article about 10 ways for students to share and celebrate their work as writers. This article includes two downloads that you can use in your classroom. Finally, there's a quick take video where I share different ways writers can enter a writing project. Our Leaders Lounge features an article that I wrote about developing confidence as teachers of writers through watching students work as writers. I think observation is a critical part of learning how to teach young writers and teach them well. In this article, I share some of the lenses that I watch through in order to decide what to teach next. I've also included an observation and reflection form that you can use as you watch the writer's work in your corner of the world. Our Leaders Lounge is full of useful downloads for instructional leaders. We share one from Stephanie Affinito, where she leads literacy coaches through a reflection on what they do well and nudges them to develop plans for growing stronger. Finally, we highlight our virtual coaching working with individuals course. As we continue to adapt our work to be safe, this course offers ways for coaches to work virtually. Experienced literacy coaches, along with videos from me, share their strategies for adapting their one-on-one coaching work to remote environments. We're here with the Choice Literacy Book Club, and we read So You Want to Be an Owl by Jane Porter and illustrated by Maddie Frost. Heather Fisher chose this pick for us this month, and she's here to kick us off. Hi, Heather. Hi, Ruth. Um, Thank you, everyone, for joining us for um, this exciting book club um, with So You Want to Be an Owl. I wanted, I'm always looking for engaging informational texts that help information really stick for our readers. And so when I came across this um, one day in a a Google search, I had to buy it. So I I put it in my Amazon cart. It was one of those add to cart kind of moments. And it came in the mail. I started reading it. And instantly, I was just like, this is the book for book club. And the other part of why I really wanted to have this book as a choice for our book club is because I've actually never been a part of a book club where we've discussed an informational text. It's always been um, fiction-based. So I thought it would be a cool kind of twist to have this experience to share with all of you. So I wanted to start off by asking you all as you started reading the book, how were you envisioning using this with students? 
I teach sixth grade language arts. And immediately when I read this book, it jumped out with potential for research. Um, I kept thinking about how the lessons that this book teaches in terms of organizing information, um, the transitions really stood out to me. There are uh, lots of different options I noticed throughout the book. Um, and so it shows how if you vary your transitions, that makes the writing more engaging. Uh, and then I also could see even um, the illustrations and the text features being a really cool mentor, uh, even for middle school writers. Christy, I thought it was so interesting um, on page 16 where the um, it's lesson six, can you swallow a mouse hole? Instead of just listing all of the, um, the things that an owl eats, it was um, chosen as a menu. So it was Owl Cafe. And that was a really engaging um, craft move that the author made. Heather, I was checking out those illustrations too. And like Christy was saying, um, how there's those different uh, features. So on that page that you were just referencing, uh, it's page 16, the lesson six, can you swallow a mouse hole? And you have the Owl Cafe menu on the left. So there's two sides to the spread. And then on the right side of the spread, it's talking about the owl pellets and the illustrations there, they shift a little bit. And um, I'm not, I'm really looking for the right words for it. And I'd love to hear people talk a little bit about this because something that I think is important to teach young writers when they are composing nonfiction is how to make their illustrations as realistic as possible. And what I like about this book is the way that you can see both. So it's kind of like the storyline and the the owl that's the teacher, he looks more cartoon than like on page 17, the owl uh, on the tree limb. He is definitely more realistic, but there's still illustrations. So I know people are listening in and you may not have seen the, the book yet. And so they are there, but it's more realistic. And I was trying to figure out like what kids would notice and how they would name the way that Maddie Frost made the, like shifted that to make it more realistic. Does that make sense? What I'm asking? Does anybody have some thoughts or ideas about that? Ruth, this takes me back to when um, some of my fifth graders had a science unit and we used to dissect the owl pellets. And at first they thought they were so gross, but some of their illustrations that they had in their science notebooks look so much like the illustrations there on page 17 where the kids drew exactly what they saw so that they could then go back and reconstruct some of the tints that the owl had um, put into the owl pellet. Ruth, I love that you brought up um, the contrast of pictures with the left side being um, kind of playful and um, I don't know, I guess kind of juvenile and then the more scientific ones on the right, I think it's a real um, sophistication, actually, an illustration to be able to pull off both in a book, um, especially nonfiction. I love it. I think it's really a good challenge for students. Oh, Bitsy, that's such a great word, like scientific. I think that's one way that kids could begin thinking about the contrast in their, their illustrations when they move to to the 
um, to nonfiction illustration. I'm also noticing the colors like on page 17, they're almost, they're more muted. Um, so they're not quite as bright. And I think that maybe helps uh, make it look more realistic. Ruth, I also noticed the next page, 18 and 19, is a spread of all of these different types of owls. And in all of those um, illustrations of the different types of owls, it's the same sort of muted colors. And so it's interesting um, to even just take a minute to notice the craft moves there, like they're, uh, the proportion of the eyes becomes more realistic and true to those actual um, species of owl versus you also have in the lower right-hand corner on the spread of page 18 and 19, that cartoon teacher owl who has much bigger eyes um, and the brighter colors. And so you really could name um, some moves you could make as an illustrator to mimic that same sort of scientific illustration. But I thought when you were gonna talk about the illustration on page 17, that you were gonna mention how the illustrator chose to create like a zoom effect because on page 17, it shows um, kind of a zoom out of the owl with the owl pellet. And then on the right-hand side of page 17, there's a zoom in to show what the different owl pellets might look like, it's to show what's inside of them. And that was even a different zoom technique than was used like on page six, where you have a zoom out of the full spread of an owl flying with wings out. And then a sort of a little circular magnifying glass almost that zooms in to show um, the shape of the wings and that like that feature that allows them to fly so silently um, to catch prey. And so the sophistication of the illustrations is um, something that doesn't jump out at you right away when you see this book, because it just kind of looks at first glance, like it's going to be very playful. And because it's like that second person point of view that speaks directly to the reader, it seems um, deceptively complex. So I just loved it. I could reread it again and again and probably notice something new every time. Christy, Christy I really am enjoying listening to the, um, the power in the illustrations um, that you and Ruth have been describing because I typically do really focus on, on the illustrations as I'm reading. And this book had me thinking more about, I was so into the chapter titles with them being listed as lessons and the way they were written as a question form. I have never compared myself to an owl yet. In this book, like with lesson one, it's, can you fly? I felt like I was trying to answer that question. So it was really um, an engaging move. Yet I really appreciate the, um, the focus on the illustrations because there's definitely a lot that we can do with our students through those. Heather and Christy, when I think about what both of you have said and everyone as they've talked, what is interesting is the parallel really between the illustrations and the text and the sophistication that was also used in the text. And I, the first thing that struck me when I read the book was the voice that the author used. I just was right away, right there with the owl. And I was pretty sure I would make a really great owl. 
Um, I'm pretty sure I could be stealth, right? And so I was enjoying that piece. But really, as I think about the writing and what you have said about the illustrations, I think it would be a great way to show kids how the author has put scientific information in there with more of that playful voice and text in their writing. And starting with the illustrations would make it so much easier to take a good close look at that text and help them to see the moves that they could make in their own writing with information that they may collect. Kathy, I was thinking about that too. And on, so I'm on page 14, which is lesson five, can you catch your own dinner? And this spread 14 and 15, the two pages, they are text heavy, especially compared to some of the other pages in the book. And I just sat with this page for a little bit and was making a list of all the things that I could teach kids when it comes to using conventions to, uh, to make your voice come alive. And if you just look down that page, um, you know, a lot of things will jump up uh, off the page. So um, in the very beginning, it has um, it has these hyphenated adjectives, super sharp eyes, tip top hearing, and then there's a colon and then all capital letters for hunting. So the sentence reads are super sharp eyes, tip top hearing, and high tech feathers are for one thing only, colon, hunting and hunting is in all capital letters. And I was just thinking, what a great mentor uh, this book would be for, for making voice come alive. And that the way we can teach kids to make voice come alive is through the way that they are using conventions in their writing. Ruth, I'm so glad that you said that because even though I have not read the book, I am always on the search for books that have really strong craft moves that I can use as mentor texts for my kids. So I'm really excited about finding this one and checking this book out. Leanne, I know you're a fellow middle school teacher. So as everyone was talking, I'm super excited about this as a mentor text for writing, but I have to say it also, especially for middle school, would be a great text for introducing some strategies for nonfiction reading. Um, One of the features that makes it super handy for middle school is the fact that the pages are numbered, which is not frequently a feature in picture books. Um, So it would be easy for students to be able to practice citations. I also, as I was reading it, couldn't help but notice nonfiction signposts. So if you're somebody who uses um, the nonfiction notice and note signposts from Kylene Beers and Bob Protst, this picture book would be a great way It could work in elementary school as well, um, but I think it even could probably work through high school as a means of introducing or practicing those nonfiction notice and note signposts, because I noticed things, even like quoted words, where the owls speak, and they are uh, expert voices on the owl experience. Um, So quoted words, which you wouldn't think would be a feature in a picture book that is nonfiction like this, and so scientific. Um, I noticed that one, I noticed numbers and stats, um, and I noticed some contrast and contradictions. So I think that um, this would make a great text for writing lessons, but it also could be a really good text for reading lessons. Thank you, Chrissy. That's so nice to hear that I can use that for both reading and for writing. 
One of the things I noticed on the Padlet um, was a comment from you, Ruth, about the index and how intrigued you were by the index. Um, can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, one of my, well, I shouldn't say one of my favorite things to teach because I just love teaching um, writing, you know, writers at any level. But I think that um, teaching young writers, primary kids, how to write all about books, um, it's just super fun. And I find them so creative and intriguing. And so um, an index is something that's uh, one of the features of nonfiction, but it's hard, at least for me, I've found them oftentimes cumbersome. So they're a lot bigger than what this one is. Um, and, and so the simplicity of it, uh, I think on the Padlet, I said, I'm smitten by the, the index and it is because of that simplicity of the index. And that Really, I was thinking when I was, if I were teaching um, an all about unit in primary, being able to show kids this index to help them see, uh, you know, how it's important to teach kids like um, vocabulary that goes with their topic. And I thought that this is just a great list of different kinds of vocabulary that they would talk about with an owl and they'd be able to do that with their topic too. So uh, when I saw that index, I just think there, there were many things that I was thinking I could use uh, that index for with, with young children. I totally agree, Ruth. And um, when I teach nonfiction to my first graders, we do often talk about the index. And then, like you said, it's hard to find one that isn't really cumbersome or a little bit over their heads. Um, so I love this one also. And I love that you brought up vocabulary too, because I really noticed vocabulary throughout where there could be some great instruction on um, when we come to words, how we figure them out um, and what to do when we come to unknown words. So I loved it. And I love that it's just in such a playful um, way. I know first graders would just love this. And the last page is so cute. Just hoot if you need me. <laughs> it's so cute. Bitsy, I can't wait to use this with a first grade class or um, a second grade. I just think that primary kids are going to eat it up. Just like Christy and Leanne were saying that uh, middle school kids can. And Christy, when you said that about high school, um, using it in a high school classroom, I could see myself using this book in a high school classroom. I think it'd be an easy sell and uh, something that would get really in-depth conversation happening. So I'm wondering if um, there are some final thoughts about the book. Ruth, as I was listening to you just now, I was thinking about um, working as a coach and how often you try to find a good core of books that you can take into any room at any grade level and use in a variety of ways. And I feel like this is a book I would want in that bag or in that stack that I could return to again and again in a lot of different ways. There's just so many different ways to enter this text and to use it. It's certainly one I would want to add to that collection. Jennifer, I completely agree. I'm feeling the same way. I'm so excited to bring this to school tomorrow and, and uh, drop it off in a teacher's classroom.
So I was struck by how this could be used as a mentor text for writing, how it could be used for reading strategies. But I, my final thought is really about the um, the content itself and the way just the experience of reading it and enjoying it as a story um, brings to mind what Kathy had said earlier when she was reading it and she was thinking, I never compared myself with an owl before. And I kind of was thinking um, that maybe I would make a good owl until reading the book. And I just think even that is such a transferable life lesson that when we look at um, others, other species, other humans through different eyes, um, that it sort of shifts our own perspective of where we stand in the world. And so I just loved the language like, uh, I'm starting to feel quite sorry for humans on page 11, because as a human reading it, you kind of have this, you almost get defensive um, but then you come to appreciate and love what there is to celebrate about owls, um, which I think could transfer to other situations. I agree with all of what everyone has said um, as far as the takeaways. And I just want to add that um, it's so fun to read a nonfiction book in this book club series. Um, so thanks, Heather. It's really, I, I'm so in tune with the fiction that it's really fun to remember, oh yeah, we can do nonfiction in this series. Thank you, Bitsy. And thank you uh, to all of you for helping me to experience my first book club with a informational text. And uh, I'm walking away with lots of amazing ideas that I came into um, this book club not having. So thank you. Heather, it was so much fun. Um, I'm glad that you that you chose it for a pick. And uh, it's just it's been so fun all year long, I think, reading along books together because they've been uh, just so different. And yet all of them have generated a ton of conversation. So Leanne has uh, the pick for next month, and I think she's going to share it with us. It's completely different from So You Want to Be an Owl but will be exciting to read together. Thank you, Ruth. Um, I'm excited to choose Enduring Freedom, which is a middle grade novel that is co-written by Trent Reedy and Jawad Arash. Um, it's a co-narratives or dual narrative. And one is an American soldier and the other one is a young boy in Afghanistan. And it, take it takes place right after 9-11. And what is interesting about this book is it's based on a true story. So the author was um, in stationed in Afghanistan, and that's where he met this little boy. And the boy is currently, um, he's been left in Afghanistan, and he's stuck over there. And the Taliban wants to do everything they can to get rid of him because he has written a book and he supports education. So I'm really excited because it really is a current events novel. And I think a lot of kids could, could connect those two things. So I'm really excited about it. Great. So we will pop back out into a young adult book. It's been a little bit since we've had one in book club. And I hope that everyone will read along with us. I think that you'll see some more information about it on our social media feeds also. So if you want to follow along with the hashtag Choice Literacy Book Club, you can. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining us. And I can't wait till next month. At Choice Literacy, we know that you want to be an educator who makes students' lives better through literacy. 
In order to do that, you need access to comprehensive literacy practices delivered in a way you will actually use. With over 150 in-the-field contributors, we understand the pressure to reach a variety of needs and not enough time to do it, which is why we hold true to workshop tenets like choice and share practical ways to plan and deliver literacy instruction straight to the point of student need. You can find links to all of the articles discussed in the show notes or sign up for the Big Fresh so you can have the links delivered directly to your inbox. Keep growing readers and writers by offering choice in literacy.